Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Stephen Reed is known for his incredible precision. You might remember his unbelievable 30-yard volley against Wigan in 2005 that fans called the hardest-hit goal in Premier League history. But his strength and power extend far beyond the pitch. After nearly two decades as a player, Stephen began coaching and managing with spells at Reading, Crystal Palace and Scottish men's national team before helping Nottingham Forest return to the Premier League after 23 years away. However, earlier this summer, Stephen decided to step away from top-flight football to retrain as a counsellor. In this episode, we discuss his mental health journey and why he's determined to give players specialist wellbeing support. Reedy, Stephen, how are you? That's the first Very thing. good. Very good. Good to see you, Jay. Yeah, good start to the day. Good, tra- good trip yeah, down. Yeah, pretty straightforward. You've even come down to London to... <laughs> to, to accommodate you. Yeah, yeah to accommodate... No, only joking. No, I said, it's one that I've been looking forward to. Obviously, our relationship and when I see the message come through, I couldn't wait to get on. No, I really appreciate that. And some of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, some people might be aware of, but I'd, I'd imagine for a lot of people, a lot of it's going to be new new to them and, and maybe some surprises as well because everyone's got their own perceptions of of who they think we are without actually realising who we are. Um, but the first one I want to talk to you about, you know, both of our associations with Nottingham Forest, you know, myself as a player and you as a coach, you know, incredible times. We've spoken during that period. Incredible run. Obviously, you went from from Chrissy Hewton, mm. who we both know and respect very well, um, and the team was struggling a bit. And then, obviously, a new manager comes in, Steve Cooper, and the team just goes on this up, upward surge and culminating with promotion, you know, back to the Premier League. So, I mean, fantastic day. I was there, uh, player final. But we spoke towards the end of the season and then we spoke obviously close season and then we spoke at the beginning of the season and amazingly you made a decision which I would have I would have thought a lot of people would have been surprised by um but you know you made a decision explain if you don't mind how you came to that process and, and the decision you made really around leaving Nottingham Forest it's it's probably something that I've been I've been thinking about for for a while you know, it wasn't a decision that was made after the promotion. Um, it's something that probably I've been thinking about seriously for the whole season, even going back to 
the end of the previous season, I was kind of thinking about going in a, in a different direction and what I wanted to do. I had a similar experience when I came out of Crystal Palace a few seasons ago, working with uh, Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington. Um, and I came out then, but without the plan that I've managed to sort of put in place over the last year. So it wasn't a, a reaction decision. It's something that I fought long and hard about. I know personally, we'd almost been having these chats as, as the season had gone on as well. So you yeah. was kind of aware of what was going on in, in my head, but it's just something I needed to do because I started feeling a, a passion lying elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, we'd spoken, I mean, when you left Palace. And it was mm. one of those moments where people always think, okay, you've left on your own terms, which is refreshing, right? I mean, generally, coaches and managers, they leave and it's down to the club making a decision. So I really respected you for doing that. There's very few in this environment that actually take it and, and, and kind of put it in their own hands and say, you know what, this is not for me. And at that time, you made a really a really strong decision and I was keen and excited to see where you was going to mm. end up next. I wasn't to know that you was going to end up at Forest. Yeah. Um, but delighted when you did. So, you know, fantastic. Listen, I would imagine not only myself, but everyone associated with the club will be very grateful for what you did in your time there. So, you know, well done there. No, it was a great, great, great club. It's obviously ended on such a high, but there mm. were some some real low moments within that as well. Mm. Obviously, the the year, the year with Chris didn't go how we wanted it to go. Um for whatever reasons, thing just didn't click. It was a difficult time, I think, all round, with no fans being in the stadium, with COVID, with all the issues surrounding that. So, no, I had some real tough times. Uh, one of the highlights for me on a personal level was probably taking that game, which was which was also difficult because Chris had just lost, lost his job. Uh, obviously, Trolls and Nick Colgan had left the club as well. I was putting caretaker charge for that one game up at Huddersfield actually yeah, getting a feel of what management mm. could be like yep. uh, a lot of it a lot of it I preferred uh, during that week in in being in charge of things and sort of knowing all the detail of everything that's going on sometimes when you're first team coach you're picking up bits and pieces you're kind of being told what to do a little bit so bits of it I did like bits of it I didn't like which which was a relentless nature of of the few days. People All, wanting your time? Just everyone wanting your time, news. press, relentless amount of press and media commitments. Spotlight. You know, you got to leave, you had to leave a few players out just for that one game. Mm. You know, Chris, one thing I took away from him, which was amazing, was his ability to just, just be honest with the players to treat them with respect, whether you'd play 10 games or one game, he'd pull you in and tell you the reasons why he's leaving you out of the team, which you respect as a player. Yeah, I think so. But I knew and I realised in that week that I had the team, even doing it for one game, how tough those moments are. Hmm. You know, you're so focused on the team and and what you need to do for the weekend. It's all the other bits and pieces that are involved that it's just all I can say is just all-consuming. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, people, everyone thinks they can be a manager. And that's yeah. interesting as well that you, I'd imagine you can answer this question yourself. You're either going to be a coach, assistant or manager. And generally, mm. you know, when we're speaking to players, they, they, yeah, I want to be a manager. But it's finding your place within a working environment in a football club. For you, I'd imagine 
being a number two or being a coach was probably a, the best place for you to be. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, f- number one for me is the people that I'm working with. As soon as there's not that connection for me or I feel that I'm not in the right place and that I'm r- working with the right people, that's when I, I find it difficult to a point of I'd rather do something else. Yeah. You know, for me, number one is the people. Forget the level. If I'm working in League Two with good people, I'll take that over working in the Premier League mm. with a group that I'm not connecting with. Yeah. Um, and that's the decisions I've I've made. Mm. You know, probably the Reading one was was because of that. Found it really difficult at that moment in time and wanted to take a break. Um, but I soon learned over my whole career in coaching that that's that's my number one. Mm. you know, key factor in in where, and who knows, by the way, looking further down the line, there's nothing to say that that won't happen again. Mm. Coaching, management, but I know for me personally, my decision in the summer was the was the right one at that time. So what was tough at Reading when you say, you know, at that time you needed to make that decision? What what was, can you elaborate on that? What was, what was the issue at, at Reading? I probably didn't feel part of it, didn't feel didn't feel valued in what I was offering, which was quite significant mm. contribution, I'd say. Yeah. Um, just wasn't enjoying the role at that particular moment in time. Wanted mm. to explore a little bit because I came straight out of playing and then went straight into coaching yep. within two or three weeks. I was at the training ground at Reading with Steve Clark and it was crack on straight into the coaching world. Didn't have time to think about spending some time away with the family, thinking about what I might want to do, other interests, which Mm. we might come to, but didn't have many. And still learning a bit more about myself now, what I enjoy doing. When you're involved in football, that's all you think about. My generation, yours, all you're kind of taught and coached to think about is football. Don't concentrate on anything else, just... You know, just get on with your football. You know, My generation. Every, everything else is a distraction. Even yeah. mine. Yeah. So I come away from the game and mm. speaking to people. I remember speaking to a counsellor and she said to me, give me 10 things that you enjoy doing. And I struggled to reel off two. Right. Really struggled. Mm. Um, so it was always just focus on your football. And after leaving Reading, I thought that could be the time to explore a little bit, take a bit of time out. But then... Within three, four weeks, a couple of phone calls were made and I'm starting at Crystal Palace. But again, with with a manager, with a person that I've got a great connection with and mm. get on really well with in Roy Hodgson. So yeah. another, another great experience. But again, I was straight back on the wheel. No, that's fair enough. Um, you've spoken previously about dealing with anxiety and imposter syndrome. Mm. I mean, being in, involved in the game, did that make things worse? million percent. I, th- I always had it as a youngster, you know, going back to school days, going back to debut for the, my youth team, going back to <clears throat> debut for Ireland under-21s. But when you go into professional professional football and thrown into, thrown into first-team environments, I think that's when it can can magnify those mm. worries, anxieties, fears, the pressures, expectations, all of that, you know, the fans, yeah. especially at a club like Millwall, that I've got a great connection with, but 
you know, it can be a difficult place to mm. to play as a young player coming through. So mm. I think it, it's the same for any elite sport as well. You mm. carry them anxieties, but once you feel the the pressure of these situations, I think it just pours petrol on that. Yeah, people don't realise that the change room is is um, sink or swim, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's a ruthless environment. There's only 11 that can play on a match day. Mm. You've got to deal with jealousies, bullying at times. There's all sorts that goes on and, and you've got to be a strong character. And Yeah, people don't understand it's not all, you know, the finished product just going out on no, a pitch. It's, it's actually surviving <laughs> that environment to be able to go and perform on a on a match day. But you referenced Millwall and that was, you know, one of the mm. questions I was going to come to. Um, what was it like playing for Millwall? I mean, I'm going to, you know, obviously say my bits and pieces from an, an away supporter or away fan or away player, but what was it like actually playing for the club? We was kind of, obviously the club has a reputation and, you know, it's always... Wanted or not? Uh, yeah, from the incidents that have, mm-hmm. that have happened in the past, you know, for sure. As as many other clubs are, we. It's funny though. I, I'm probably more connected to that squad that we had at Millwall. Like the bond between us as a squad is yeah. probably stronger than any other that I've I've sort of gone on to play for. Mm. Um, since then, the WhatsApp group chat. We had great senior pros. Yeah. We had a group of us young players coming through. Sort of, it was that sink or swim. Club mm. had no money, so me. Tim Cahill, Paul Weifel, Joe Dolan at the Good time. Richard Mick, Mick was the manager, right? Uh, Mick was just before. So okay. My first manager was Billy Bonds. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then it was Keith Stevens and Alan McCleary after that, and then Mark wow. McGee when things kind of really, yeah. really took off. But sort of the senior players like protected us. Okay. It didn't feel like we was all being thrown in and there was any jealousies from the senior pros that can be. Mm. Don't want the young players to do well. I yeah. remember after training, Bobby Bowery used to Bobby pull me Bowery. to used to pull me to one side and we used to just Bobby Bowery. get the ball out and have pinging competitions mm. and get dragged over if one of the players wanted some crosses put in or mm. um one of the keepers wanted a bit of finishing. I went to school with Bobby. Okay. Played in the same Sunday team, school teams. Um, and I, I got the break before him and then he came in years later. So small world when yeah, you mentioned Bobby he Barry. Was, he was... He was mad for it, right? He was one of these guys who was out, like, it wasn't so much cage football in our day. We talk about cage yeah. football now, but we would have been out and he would have been out all the time playing football, like Kelm Scott yeah. um, in East London. And if there was anyone that you thought could make it, it would be him. He was quite mm. slight, yeah. quite tall. Um, so when he got his break, I was like, I was delighted, man. Because yeah. out of our school team, there was a few. There was myself, John Goodman. Yeah. Remember John Goodman, striker? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bobby, there was a few others. And you just think, yeah, good for you. Because you know he had the talent. Yeah. But I used to speak to him as well. So speaking about the club as well, some, what I was going to get to was, I knew how difficult it was as an, uh, an opposing black player to go back and play mm. at Millwall. And I had an opportunity to... To maybe sign scholar for Millwall. It was mm. Millwall Charlton. I chose Charlton. But I remember one of the first things that imprinted on my mind was I was watching um some first team games for Millwall. Mm. And like uh, that Steve Antrobus in the team. Yeah. He was making his debut. You know, black winger, local boy. And I had uh, George Lawrence. Remember George yeah, Lawrence, yeah. the winger? Yeah. Who was a, an experienced black man in the team. 
And I'm sitting in the crowd and I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, you know, this club want to sign me. It was intense. The atmosphere mm. was unbelievable. Um, and it was ca- it was caged in those days as well. Yeah, so, at the old den. Yeah, the old den. And yeah. I was listening and I was watching people's faces and the way they was directing racial abuse at these two players. And Steve, you know, Steve Antrobus being his debut as well, mm. they just didn't care. And I thought, wow, this... Do I really want to play for this club? Mm. Is this how football's going to be going forward? And I was shook. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm like 15, 15 years of age, and I'm thinking, hmm. And I always spoke to, I always spoke to Bus as well, you know, mm. after that. And he, that did kind of leave a little bit of an imprint on him and obviously left the club and moved on. So, And also when I played at Millwall, I would always, there would always be one or two black players in the team, and you'd yeah. think, are you okay? Because, like, I'm getting dogs abused today. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like real, but how is it for you? Like playing yeah. for them and the response coming back with, I mean, you can, you can, you can explain that. Oh, you know, if I'm doing all right, I'm all right. Like they look mm. after me. But if you wasn't doing okay, wow, did you feel isolated in that environment? So mm. that's why I asked, what was it like to play for Millwall? Because I, I always had to kind of ask people, what's it like to play for this club? Yeah, I mean, we was quite, we was quite lucky because we had good team mm. so we had a Wembley appearance we had a playoffs then we had a promotion as champions then we got to the uh, championship playoffs mm. the following season when we bounced up so I probably never got to see as a player yeah, success. How, how bad it could be yeah. you know we had a successful team we was a group of young players that got thrown in together and the fans actually took to us yeah. we was doing well for the team it we helps. was flying it helps it massively yeah of course I was never really sort of exposed to mm. you know sitting in the stand and seeing what goes on yeah you know I, my memory's all about being on the pitch senior players that wouldn't put up with any any rubbish yeah they yeah. looked after us they protected mm. us we had good connections with a senior like Bobby you know at that time uh when I first came through, Tony Witter was around oh, and Kim Grant. You know, Kim, the, I was yeah. with him at Charlton. He was yeah. a year younger than me at Charlton in the youth team. So yeah, yeah. The, the vet, I mean, I remember Fash, Fash has played for, yeah. for Millwall. They've always had some strong black personalities. Mm. And, and they, they kind of... They would have to be. Yeah, and they kind of would get their arms around us yeah. and look after us, black, white. Mm. You know, that we was... When I look back, mm. we were genuinely... Yeah. All in it together. Yeah, yeah. You I know. think you need that as a group of players. Yeah, in there. It's definitely. us against them, isn't it? And if you haven't got that, you've got no chance of, you know, succeeding and doing well. So definitely. I had to ask that question, and, yeah, you ref- and, and you referenced it as well. So it was important for yeah, people to understand. And you know, I'm not going to be stupid enough to say, oh, there's mm. just because my experience was okay, yeah. everything's okay. That's mm. not the case because there's been some, you know, terrible moments over the years mm. and players that have suffered you know at the hands of the fans so yeah. there is issues that needs to be done but I'm also involved involved in a few bits at the club that I show my face at where behind the scenes and that's yeah. the thing that pisses me off I guess you mm. can have a few idiots that, spoil that it. can spoil it for the yeah. rest that are doing some great work in the community so yeah I mean knowing your personality having known you a number of years um and knowing how you kind of approach things and just listen to you talk, I mean, it's no surprise to me really. But, you know, you're training to be a counsellor. Um, you know, what brought you to that and what makes you want to do that? Probably having gone through it. 
myself. Um, I go back quite young. So my first experiences of it was having some counselling, would have been about 16, 17, something like that. My mum worked in a mental health hospital, not as a uh, counsellor, but just worked in there Mm -hmm. in various different jobs. So she was always aware of the mental health side of things. So having a few issues when I was quite young, she was the best person in the world to talk to about it, really. You know, got me the support I needed, Mm -hmm. went through it. So I've always had an interest in it and know know the benefits um and then obviously fast forward forward a few years when i left crystal palace spoke to the pfa you know rung the rung the line spoke with benno who i know anyway to mm-hmm. get some get some help um and do some proper work on myself really and as the years have gone on i've kind of wanted to look into it a little bit more you know do the courses done my level two um when I had the opportunity when I was working with Scotland and I had a little window where I could do something else mm-hmm. um and that's the bit of coaching that I've kind of enjoyed the most over the years talking to the players making sure that they're right mm. things away from the game you know family all good settling in how you feeling sharing a little bit about my own vulnerabilities as well yeah. and I think that's been quite powerful in mm. in all the roles that I've had in building them relationships with the players. Mm. And I just kind of wanted to see where this goes as well because I didn't want to get another five, seven years down the line and I'm looking back thinking, what if I had just made that decision and given this a try? Yeah, Because I can always go back to the coaching at some stage if the opportunity is mm. right. Yeah. But I've kind of been planning this for about a year talking to people putting a presentation together making sure i'm getting enrolled on the course um which started a couple of weeks ago and just want to give it just want to give it a go and see where it leads no i mean you know you kind of spoke about it a little bit there as well it's like when somebody asks you are you okay you Mm. all right they've generally kind of left to moved on before you've even had time to answer that. Yeah. So it's just taking that time sometimes to identify and say to somebody, what's going on, man? How's, how's things with your day? Mm. And they, you know, they may well spill, but they might not. But the fact that you've taken the time out to, I think people appreciate that, especially mm. in a football environment. We know what coaches and managers are like. Yeah. And I think we've all been there where if you're injured or if you're not part of the squad, you're no good to them. You know, they could walk past you, but literally walk past you. You're dead to me. I don't know you. You know what I mean? You know where I'm going. In the change room, it can be in the physio room. And you're feeling bad enough as it is. Mm. You know what I mean? You're feeling kind of alienated. The last thing you want to do is be injured. You want to be playing. And then you've got the pile on of of maybe feeling a little bit worthless as well. So I think, you know, coaches, managers, I know coaches and, and, and there are things that people try to implement. But that's an area that coaches and managers need to do the work. They shouldn't rely upon, all staff shouldn't rely upon the psychologist mm. or the doctor to be identifying people who might need a bit of support. It should be everybody's responsibility, yeah. right, to do some basic training, do you know mm. what I mean? Because, as I said, that, are you okay? People generally don't really mean it when they well, ask you yeah, that, do exactly. they? So, Yes. No, I think you'll be you'll be really good at it. You'll be the best place for it because, you know, having spoken to you, I think one of the things is you come across as being empathetic 
and your listener. Mm. You know, I think that's that's the big part. Some people are, are good at it, some people are not, but it's just listening. And the, the thing with being the coach as well, there's there is that still that barrier. There's many times over the years where I kind of can feel that a player's got something not to giving, spill. yeah, not giving me everything, and mm. I, and I get that. When yeah. there's that coach-player relationship, yeah. having been a player, you don't know whether that yeah. chat that you have is going to affect team selection, yeah, contract at the end of the season, crazy. which can happen, mm. you know. Um, so probably by going down this route, I'm just interested in mm. actually digging a little bit deeper. Yeah, good. Because there's only so much a player, I think, will give you. Yeah, And I've actually, since I've come out, you know, of the game in the summer, a few of the players that I've worked with have shared a little bit more about what's actually going on. Mm. And then looking back and you can sort of think, yeah, I can I can sort of see that more clearly now, mm. why you acted a certain way, why you weren't, weren't quite yourself. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a different process. Again, getting used to the course again and all of the... Google Classroom and learning, that. yeah, learning again, and learning. it's strange and brings mm. up more anxieties and more. Can I do it? Mm. You know what you're doing. Just get back in football. Yeah, you know because yeah. I kind of think, but that's easy about decision. That way of thinking. That's easy, easy choice, right? For you to go back to football, isn't it? Yeah. So people should respect your bravery and coming out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself and just not making easy choice, but doing what you think's best for your, you know, your mm. well being. So. I think people should respect that. I think the more times you have to explain it and the more times you do speak about it, more and more people will maybe have a better understanding of where you're coming from. And listen, it's about doing the work, yeah? That, that yeah we're all trying to yeah. do the work. It's about doing the work and spreading that message and hoping that people pick up on it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But also you speak about... Um you know, having a good support network. Mm-hmm. You know, what what does that look like for you? It's tight. I've always had a tight circle. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not one, although I, I think I'm really good with people and and build them relationships well. My own circle's tight, kind of immediate family, you know, one or two in football that I get an opinion from, you know, within football. Again, not got a massive circle of close friends in the game obviously we got loads of acquaintances and people Mm. that we we speak to but the circle's tight um got still got the counselor that i check in when i can feel myself just you know i can feel 
things just getting a little bit not out of hand, but I can I could I've just get this feeling when I know I need to get some stuff off my chest and check in. When I left Palace, it was probably once a week for getting on for a couple of years, you know, that I saw the counsellor. Now it's every few months, might have a check-in just to have a chat, just to, like I say, get some of these feelings that, you know, sometimes you don't want to sort of share them with your closest. You don't want to kind of, I know the it's not burdening them with it, but you just sometimes need that, you know, external person there to just mm. just tell them exactly how you feel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, I guess that's what it looks like. So immediate family, close friends, one or two mentors and counsellor. <laughs> so a decent, you know, a decent mm. amount of, of support there. And I, I think you need it. I, I think in all walks of life, but in particular, elite sport, high high pressure environments you need need support Mm. you need people to lean on or i just i think it's going to be a struggle do you think i don't know i mean there has been some changes when people ask me about it i know there's been some changes because there wasn't psychologists and that back Mm. in the day you know and doctors wasn't really doing anything other than just maybe administering ibuprofen (laughs) anti-inflammatories you know what we what we had to live through to get through the games but um do you think do you think players do feel like there's more people they can speak to? I mean, internally, externally, is there is there, you know, I mean, there's a perception outside, isn't there, from supporters that everything's great. You play football, mm. you earn fortune. So like, what are you complaining about? Like, what's your problem? Do you think players do feel that there's an opportunity for them to maybe talk about it a bit more than than ever before? Um I actually don't know with this one. I still think, I still think there's a reluctance there to share. Stigma, stigma still yeah, there. I, th- I think so to reach out. I think by maybe me doing it in the summer gives one or two the opportunity to to relate to my story and pick up the phone, or we have a Zoom catch up or whatever it might be. But I still think it's difficult to, and in particular, I still think within a club to do it. I still think there's a big percentage of players that just won't go and see anyone in the club. Mm. Don't want to be seen going. Because where they get back to the manager? Yeah, the fear of, if I say this, is it going to get back to the manager? Mm. Is it going to affect team selection? Is it going to affect a contract at the end of the season? Um, So I've still got an an issue with it. I, I think clubs that are doing it is great, but... I still think there's a lot of players that will just look externally. I think mm. the agents are a big one now. You know, I think at the top level, especially Premier League and probably top end championship now, when the where the finance and the contracts and they're well paid, mm. I think they have fixers now that will just go and get, I don't know, someone that's got the most followers on Instagram or, wow. you know, just look online and see who the best guru or, wow, okay. or you know whoever that might be out mm. there and we just go and get them right. might not necessarily be the right mm. person for that player but I think the agents have got a big part now mm. in looking after the, the players that they work with players are their own teams aren't they basically yeah, team basically, behind the team the entourage wow you know crazy. we'll have someone that will organize it I've mm. had it which is 
which is great. I had an agent that I know really well. Mm. He had a couple of players that he felt would really resonate with my story. Could I go and have a meeting with them? Could we have a chat? Yeah. You know, and I still kind of still kind of and still work with them work mm. with them now so often it's actually the agents that, yeah. that reach out but i think the staff as well I, having worked on a staff for the last seven years staff need support need help Tell me about it. Yeah. you know they're the ones that often not on good pay security's not there change a manager a lot of the staff will be gone living away from home sometimes living abroad mm looking after the players you've got to put the mask on yeah because as a coach you've got to be on top of your game every day as a player you can be a miserable yeah you can whatever do your work Mm. go on as a coach you have to be on it from the minute you get in the door say that i've played with some miserable coaches yeah i know you i know the point point you're getting at but there have been some miserable coaches it's like good cop bad cop with a lot of coaches and managers isn't it so yeah yeah yeah. i I get but probably for my own person, that's how I felt that mm. I needed to be. Yeah, fair Which, enough. when you get in the office, you still have a, a moan up. Mm. But when you're dealing with the players, yeah, you need to make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. You need to get them in the best mental and physical state, yeah. hopefully, that you can to perform. Mm. Um, so I think the staff, and ultimately, if the staff are well-equipped, trained maybe, yeah. to deal with... That's what we're talking about, yeah. To deal with the players. Having the skill set having the skills to to notice if there's an issue with a player. Is it the guy working at the gate that mm. notices a player being late a couple of times this week? Yeah. Is it the chef where well, he's not eating as well? Mm. Is it yeah, yeah. another member? Can, yeah, it's picking up on those. It is, and having a sit-down collaboration mm. and talk about this stuff. Yeah, good points, good points. Do you think uh, discrimination or... Racism ever affected your well-being? Um, and it's 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 tough to it's tough to say. I mean, I've always just given myself the best opportunity of getting to where I want to get to, regardless of you know whether I see a glass ceiling there, whether there's opportunity there. I thought just do stuff right do it properly fully prepare work as hard as you can get your badges uh, be a good pro treat people the right way and opportunities will i've never had the mindset of i'm not going to do something because i'm not sure i'm going to get an opportunity um and for me personally doors have opened my whole journey you know playing career you know, even my last couple of years, probably at West Brom, where I weren't playing as many games as I would have liked, but because of personality, because of how I did things, I maybe nicked another year at the end. Mm. And then within two years of finishing playing, Steve Clark wants me, Roy Hodgson wants me at Crystal Palace, Steve Clark again at Scotland, a couple of big, big clubs. Alex Dyer as well, right? Alex Dyer, I mean, I, used to, I yeah. was speaking to both of you and it was incredible. Yeah. It's like two black coaches yeah. working at a national, national level. Yeah. And yeah. if it was, yeah, I mean, obviously we've got Chrissy Powell with the England set up, mm. but I, I spoke to yourself and, and Alex because I was really interested and intrigued to see how you guys was going to deal on the international stage. And so was there no adverse or no 
I mean, the results wasn't too bad, really. No, results yeah. started off bad. We got off to a bad start, but mm. then things picked up. Uh, confidence grew in the team. Changes were made and ended up getting to a you know first tournament in 20, 23 years by the mm. time it, it took place. A, a big success, but I'm not going to lie, I've still been in environments where I've not felt comfortable. You know, certain boardrooms where... I'm going to a game and I'll just go, which I like doing anyway, is going straight to my seat and watching the warm-up, but mm. might poke my head in and think. Sterile, yeah, stiff. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's my own thinking mm. of the situation, but I'll take myself out of certain situations where I don't feel comfortable because I'm the only black face in the, yeah. in the room. Mm. So, yeah, I've had that many times. Not, yeah. you know, not abuse or you know being looked at a certain way i just would rather not be in that environment yeah. where i don't necessarily feel yourself but yeah it's definitely a lot of environments like that mm. in football and boardrooms that's for sure yeah i mean earlier just going back i mean i think i mentioned it as well not only whine about your own well-being and 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 how you're perceived or you know, the abuse we receive as players, but worrying about your family and friends and maybe your partner or your children. I mean, this is a question I've been asked, so this is a question I asked you. Do you think it's impacted your partner or your children? Um, and have you spoken to them about it? About? Maybe them watching you play, knowing what you're dealing with, you know, dealing with abuse. Uh, yeah, not, not really. They've never... Been... The support's always been there, but yeah. when when the kids were kind of... I was out injured for so long when they were babies, so they didn't really get to watch me play much at Blackburn, and then mm. I was commuting down to West Brom from Manchester, so it would be rare occasions they might yeah. come to a game. Um, so, yeah, they've not... And, yeah, they've probably not really been around it enough to kind of okay. to see it. Um, it's something that I talk about with like my son now, Harry's 13. Mm. Is he playing? He played a little team. I've been roped into as you do coaching you his, go to watch. his little team. So I'm involved in that, which I'm which I'm enjoying. But mm. yeah, they they I think now it's kicked on to another level, I gotta say that with the social media. I was lucky in the fact that I was coming to the end. Yeah. I think over the last sort of sets since I retired seven years, the amount of social media abuse yeah. directed at players is is ridiculous. You know, yeah. Every game, every week now we're seeing it. And, you know, I was probably just out at the right time in that regard and probably glad in a way. Obviously the age that the kids are at now as well that are on social media and seeing it. Mm. You know, I've spoken to a few coaches and managers that, you know, are in the game now and... You know, they're getting abused in the stand and family is sitting close by. Um, yeah. Probably a little bit back in the day when like, mum and dad might have gone to a game mm. and they're hearing stuff. I imagine what my mum <laughs> was like in the stand. Mm -hmm. But they actually kind of kept it all of that to themselves as well, mm. which was, I, I guess, to protect me. Yeah. I mean, the reason I asked is because, you know, I can remember my mum coming to games and, there were some games I was like, just don't come. Like, mm. When she's telling me what she's having to deal with, you know, whether it be my brother, 
my children used to tell me about it. Um, sometimes they didn't want to come. And, mm. you know, you, when you think about it, you don't realise the pressure they're under, you know, with, with their school friends and talking about it. And it's only now that my kids are older now that we start to speak about certain situations and instances where I'm like, really? Is that what you had to listen to? I, I can't imagine, you know, because I was on the other side as a player, mm. you're just like, I'm going to play, right? I'm in the centre of the pitch, which is probably the safest place to be as opposed to being on the on the bench yeah. or warming up. But you just kind of focused on the job you got to do. But then to then be worrying about your family, are they actually okay in the stands? And Did you think that if you was having a, a Sometimes bad game? I did, yeah, because yeah. I thought, well, I hope they're okay, mm. you know, because the result's not going well. And I can hear the way it's become quite toxic, you know, when yeah. the team's not winning. And they do get it. You know, they're sitting there, people look at them like, oh, that's your husband or that's your, yeah. do you know what I mean? And it's like, my wife's told me lots of things going back in the day. And um, I would say she she stopped coming to watch me play. Mm. You know, she made that conscious decision to stop coming because she just thought, oh, I've got better things to do with my time than have to listen to that rubbish yeah. and get caught up in that. And so, yeah. as I say, it wasn't just about my own well-being and how am I dealing with it I had to ask my children and I had to ask my wife and I don't think people understand what trauma trauma mm. really is whether it be racial homophobic whatever it may be if you're constantly receiving uh, abuse imagined by large groups of people mm. as well in a in a really toxic environment we're not designed to deal with that you know people assume yeah. that you know athletes should get paid no no human being is designed to just stand there with somebody screaming abhorrent abuse at them, you know, just trying to tear tear them down as it dehumanize them. No one's no one's inbuilt to deal with that. So I think that's the point that we have to try and make when we're speaking to people that we're human beings. Yes, we play football and it's great, mm. but how would you feel if it was your child or your partner? And it ain't until you actually maybe try to explain to them in that in those terms that they think, yeah, you know what? Maybe I got a bit carried away of myself. Mm. Especially now, especially mm. with the social media now, because if your kids are at an age where they're on it, yeah, terrible, and they just Google dad's name, yeah, yeah of course, into it all comes whatever, up. they're gonna have, they're gonna have a look at that. Mm. You know, they're gonna have the odd just, you know, search up dad's name, let's see what the fans are saying, or mm. unless they're, you know, real different, strong, not strong's the wrong word, but. I think most just would out of interest to see what's going on. Yeah, of course. And they don't even need to do that now because someone else will say, have you seen what so-and-so has written or said about your dad? Yeah. You know, you can't get away from it. You can't get away from mm. it. Even if you're not looking at it, someone will tell you, don't worry about that. Mm. No. Listen, you've spoken about your your passion for, for well-being and what we can do. Um, what would you like to see the game do more to to try and enforce or try and help? You know, players, what would you like to see the game do? I guess it's just the access. And, you know, for me, when you're in football, especially, or, or sport, you need that support. You know, a lot of players, you know, vulnerable, have got issues going on, don't know where to go with it. You know, at the minute I've been around to a few clubs and shared a bit about my story, which for me as a player Perfect. would have been really powerful. Perfect. Because the presentation I do is kind of perception of what people think it is and success. 
but actually the reality of the journey and what was involved in it. And I think sometimes just sharing that for some will be enough because up until late in my career, I thought I was the only one going through some of this stuff, these experiences, this, you know, anxiety attacks or imposter syndrome. You know, it's only in recent years that realize loads of us have been through similar issues. So I think it's, you know, being visual like that in at clubs, maybe mm. delivered by someone that's actually been through the experiences mm. and sharing a bit of their story. Um, you know, I've got to say though as well, the PFA have been a massive help to me in my journey and getting help that I needed at certain times. Mm -hmm. I think we need to get that out even more. Yep. You know, if I've got, uh, listen, there's been many over the years in recent years that have come for the PFA, which for me personally, they've been outstanding for me, help, support, education, coaching badges, well-being. Mm. It's there. Yeah. Yep. But my argument would be, does every player know what services are, are on offer mm. and the help that they can get? So, but again, I, I think the players have to take a bit of responsibility for their careers as well. It's not all about can we get help to the the players need to need to take some responsibility yeah, for course. their own careers. Mm. I think now too many just let their agents and managers, entourages deal with everything. Mm. You got to take charge of your own career if you're feeling a certain way there's so much available if you just kind of if you just dig a little bit deeper Stephen you've been wonderful to talk to you know I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will benefit from some of your insights and some of your knowledge and I'm sure the majority of them will want to wish you all the best as I do uh, thank you really for coming in and spending some time with us and being part of the Absolutely podcast and also you know maybe together we can both look for the win Okay, I want to wish you all the best, my man. Nice one, Jake. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you.